Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello, welcome to another episode of Motherhood Exposed. The 3rd to the 9th of May marks the perinatal mental health week in the UK. And I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, Eve Canavan. Eve suffered postpartum psychosis after the birth of her son, Joe, 11 years ago, and is now a coordinator for the Perinatal Mental Health Partnership. With this year's theme being Journey to Recovery, I'm so pleased to have her on to share her story, experiences and knowledge. Good morning, Eve. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's the first day of the Awareness Week today, so I'm very pleased. I'm in a very good mood. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. You know, it's really exciting. You've got a lot planned this week, haven't you? We've got loads. So this is our fifth year, and we normally do. We always have daily themes, we've got all that, and we normally have a series of live sessions, but we've got about 20 this year. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't realize you had that much planned. <laughs> that's, that's we've got about so, 20 this year, yeah. If this is coming out on Thursday, what's, what's left for people to listen to? Oh, oh, oh my goodness. So um, we're going to be doing a session with a GP about how to talk to your GP about symptoms um, on the Friday. We're going to be doing a, um, it's going to be a mindfulness session. I'm just thinking what else is coming through. Sorry, I sort of sprung that one on you, didn't oh, I? <laughs> can, you, can you think of five days ahead, please? <laughs> oh, no, actually, we're going to be doing a session on tocophobia. Um, we'd have just done a session on um, maternal suicide and things so we yeah there's a huge amount of stuff coming through but actually we've got most of them on the Thursday and Friday um, awesome. so which I'm doing but yeah they're going to be really good and really ones that I think mums will be able to listen to actually and take information from particularly the one about how to talk to a GP because it's with a doctor yeah no absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant that's amazing so Eve I like to start my podcast with um, a story about how you met your partner who's John if you're happy to tell me Oh, of course. So I worked with John in my day job. So in my day job, I work in government. I'm a civil servant, um, uh, trained in social research. And so John was a social researcher in the Department for Work and Pensions. And I think he was doing, I think he was looking at the family and children study at that point. And I came in to do research support. And I think he might have line managed me at one point. <laughs> I think he might have line managed me at one point, I can't remember. But yeah, I sat opposite him for a while and we would hang out at lunch times, And then... We just got together and actually the 5th of May is our 15 year anniversary. World, is it? World Maternal Mental Health Day is our 15 year anniversary. So I met him at work. Yeah. And um, we still work in government together now. Yeah. And here we are 15 <laughs> actually, years later. Do you work like in the same department still? We did until a year and a half ago. <laughs> wow. That's intense. We were in the same team until a year and a half ago for a little bit as well. Really? Quite, yeah. Yeah. Did work come home with you or were you able to keep it? No, not at all. Not at all. You you just completely cut it off. We used to have loads of fun work together. You know, after 15 years, we still have loads of fun together. So, yeah. Oh, that's nice. 15 years. That's that's a good number. Congratulations. (laughs) Lovely. So, um, Eve, I've got you on today because um, I'd love you to talk to us about your experience with having your son, Joe. Of course. Yeah. So... Um, 
I'll just let you I'm gonna just like open the court go, go ahead no, no <laughs> sit back. not at all so my little boy Joe um who's here with me he's uh 11 um he's gonna start in secondary school very soon and it kind of feels like it's come so very quickly because I just it seems like he was born really genuinely only yesterday so I had him 11 oh. years ago um and he was a much wanted pregnancy um I have a really rare condition where I have two wombs um, and two vaginal septum called uterus to delta. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so, so I always describe it as if imagine you're, I've got a womb. So imagine my eyes are wombs and then it goes down into, um, so here's your vulva and I've got two vaginal septums. So it's imagine it like that. Okay. So you're saying your, your, your wombs are your eyes Um and then you go, um, you you go down, and then your, um, your nostrils. One vagina, two vagina. Uh, one, yeah, one a nostril, each, each nostrils a vagina. That's a good way to do yeah. it. I like that. This is a vulva, so one vulva outside. So I've got two birth canals here. Wow. And so um, that was why we worked out why I'd had so many um, issues with pregnancy before I was could have Joe, um, and mm-hmm. he was born via a plant. Okay, so um, I had consultant-led care all throughout my pregnancy, um, and I was looked after wonderfully, and um, Joe was delivered by cesarean by the consultant who saw me all the way through, and it was all wonderful. Um, I was looked after really beautifully. Did you conceive naturally with, with Joe? Yeah, conceived naturally. Yeah, conceived naturally. We, we'd conceived previously, but the pregnancies weren't successful, and of course it was because one of my wombs is smaller than the other one. Yeah. Um, so the pregnancy just ran out of space to grow okay um, so joe was delivered a little bit early because he had stopped grow um you know finished growing a little bit early um but then when i had him about when i came out of the um the cesarean uh theater about an hour after i'd given birth to him and i'd breastfed him and stuff my mum came in and immediately said to me even what's wrong with your face she kind of didn't go oh baby you know grandchild she said um even you look glazed over um and I think that's important because that was the first she was the first one to spot something wasn't right she said I looked really glazed over and she still says it now when you talk to her about it good old mums Um, hey they know their daughters yeah and um I did have this really quick quick flash of a thought in my head where I looked over to a hospital window it's a really old hospital in East London and they still had the old bars on the window and I had this very quick thought of like oh I wonder how I could escape the hospital. You know, just a very kind of fleeting, yeah. weird kind of strange yeah. thought. Mm-hmm. And then I was in the hospital for three days and um, I started to feel really hot. There was a physical symptom feeling very hot. Um, and no one could explain why I was feeling very hot. I had no infection or anything like that. And when we left the hospital after three days, um, we went outside and got in the car to go home. And I felt like the car was rocking. Um, and I said to John, why there's so many people surrounding the car? And he said, well, there's, there's not. And I said, it feels like the car is being rocked. And my kind of vision went like tunnel, just before you faint, like I fainted when I was pregnant. You know, I got this like tunnel vision yeah. where everything went muffled. And, um, and I felt like I was kind of having a bit of an out-of-body experience. Um, but I didn't say anything about that because I genuinely didn't understand what was going on. You know, it was really, I didn't really understand what was happening to me and just when we got home over the course of the next five days I realized that I felt very 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 scared so I'd given birth feeling fine and mm-hmm. almost immediately after birth had this switch go in my brain and when Joe was about five days old I realized I felt very scared of having a baby um 
and I couldn't work out why. But I realised that this responsibility was forever. And I kept saying to John, I feel trapped. I feel trapped. I feel trapped. And over the next six weeks, you know, it increased the fact that I started to feel trapped by walls in my house. I felt trapped in my own brain. I felt trapped by the clouds in the world. Um, I started to feel like I say things to John, like, oh, you know, what if I was to cut through the clouds, I could escape the world and then I'm free from this feeling. Yeah. yeah. And I thought things, you know, I felt like I was like floating in the corner of the room and I thought the duvet cover was dancing. Um, so the, the, these are all symptoms that are all just slowly kind of getting worse and worse over six weeks. Getting worse and worse and coming together. And of course, we had midwives, you know, here in the UK, we have midwives and health visitors coming to see you, yeah. you know, every couple of days and the baby. And we were saying to them, I said, look, I don't feel very well. I feel really strange. I'm having some really strange thoughts. Um, you know, and I, I, people, John says, you know, could it possibly be that she has this postnatal depression? We've looked at on Google. Mm. And one midwife said, don't diagnose that till the baby's 12 weeks old. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which That's is, helpful. <laughs> helpful. You know, then numerous different health visitors came to see us because we were constantly phoning them saying, you know, we don't really know what's wrong with you. She could be extremely sleep derived. Put the baby on a bottle, you know, or, or you know, kind of just coming up with like really just kind of random solutions and yeah. not really looking into what was wrong with me. But with them saying, you know, she really doesn't look very well, but have you been to the GP? And John would take me to the GP. And I had one GP say to me, um, but the one question I always ask women when they come to see me with this is, do you want to flush the baby down the toilet? Oh, well, that, again, another saying, really helpful comment. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember saying, sorry, well, no, no, I don't. Because obviously from that point, I was like, I haven't had that particular symptom. That was the yeah. only question she asked me. Okay. You know? And so I said, well, no. And she was like, well, you're, you should be fine then. And of course. So I guess the GP was coming from the thought process that often with with psychosis, um, like postnatal psychosis, people um, have thoughts of harming their babies and and you didn't have those symptoms. I didn't have those symptoms, but actually also people don't really um, often have thoughts of harming their babies with, with postpartum psychosis. Um, that isn't a common a common symptom. You know, it's a um, it's con- considered to be maybe media wise, but in the research to do with postpartum psychosis, um, you know, there's, there can be lots of grander ideas of maybe feeling like you're, you have lots of religious symbols. Maybe you feel yep. like your baby is God. Yeah. Um, you might feel um, that you don't connect with your baby because you feel like they're a different being or something maybe. Uh-huh. But no, at that point, though, she was just, I think she just kind of thought, are you a bit fed up with a baby and feeling a bit down? Oh, wow. Do you want to flush them down? To <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was a bit like, well, no, I haven't had that particular symptom. She was like, well, you know, you should be okay then. And I know, I know. And we had various one one GP told me that you know I should why don't I get back into baking make myself a cake it was all kind of really bizarre things and I think when Joe got to about six weeks old um John had taken me to Nottingham where his parents lived because a health visitor had said to him she'd never seen anything like what I was going through and that the healthcare professionals here didn't seem to know what they were dealing with and he took me to an out-of-hours doctor in the middle of the night um who asked me if I'd um planned my own death and I said well no I, I haven't and John said she you know she can't even get dressed on her own she's confused by her clothes I don't think she could plan anything at the moment and again she she didn't even look at me and she said um go home and have a sleep all will be better in the morning time um and in the morning time I woke up and um 
like yeah I, I'd wake up and I'd had like a vision of being buried alive in a coffin and uh Sean just took me to psychiatric outpatients in hospital and said someone needs to see her immediately and I'm not leaving and, you know what um, sorry can I just say that John is awesome he is amazing to be <laughs> but often I think with people who go through um postpartum mental health issues it it you know, people are confused and, and it gets missed and, and they do all of those things that I guess you were being told, just just let her rest or just change the scenery or, or you know, take the baby out yeah. for a walk and give her a break. But he was on it, wasn't he? He was brilliant. He was on it. Well, because, you know, because he knows me, you know, I'm kind of like a happy, vibrant, you know, really kind of like fly by the seat of my pants, Eve. And this wasn't like that. And I think obviously the difference, you know, I'd wanted to for so long. And I think the difference of between almost waiting for my uh, anaesthetic for my cesarean and waiting for my spinal yeah. to the effectively the hour after birth was so clear, you know, to, to him that he just knew immediately that I needed to get some help. And also I did was in those early days I said, you know, I, I don't feel right. You no, know, I something I don't feel right at all. You know, I feel really, really scared, like really, really scared. And, um, you know, he knew straight away, you know, he knew straight away that something wasn't right. But of yeah. course, at that point, you know, we, we hadn't heard of, we hadn't heard of postpartum psychosis. So we'd only heard of postnatal depression at our, yeah. our antenatal classes. So, yeah, John was kind of on it, like a carb on it. And it was <laughs> because of him, you know, taking me to the uh, psychiatric outpatients. And they said to me, um, you know, have you heard of a mother and baby unit? And John said, well, I have because I've been Googling each symptom so much. And what we found out is that in the UK, there's a, a very small number. There's under 20 of specialist mm. psychiatric mother and baby units in the country. They have about six to eight beds in them. And they house women and their babies, which is really important if there is a severe mental illness um, while pregnant or within the first year after birth. And so John had been saying to doctors in London, I've found this list of these units. You know, have you heard of them? And, you know, with that, we started to hear the word perinatal, you know, and, and yeah. that kind of thing. And John was saying, I think she's got like some severe perinatal mental illness. And I can remember one doctor said to him, you know, there's no such thing as a perinatal psychiatrist. <laughs> you know, like, you know so we were just totally like just. Uh, so actually the hospital we went to, when the psychiatric outpatients, they had a mother and baby unit in it in Nottingham. And I was admitted that afternoon after being oh. taken to psychiatric outpatients. Wow. They interviewed me. And they said, you know, you can come in with your baby. And um, and that essentially was the start of my recovery. But I think we stayed in Nottingham. I always get very confused around timings because I had no idea what was going on. But yeah. we probably stayed there three or four months, you know, um, yeah, before yeah. I came back to London to have my the rest of my Miss Mum's sleep with Joe. But that's kind of, you know, my um, postpartum psychosis experience in a, you know, a quick nutshell. But, um, in a nutshell, yeah. So <laughs> can I ask you a few questions? Then? Yeah, cool. Um, so can you explain what some of your symptoms were? Yes. Yeah, so I had a very, very, very racing mind. So I realised I felt scared. And I realised I felt scared because I think I felt trapped. Mm-hmm. And I think I felt trapped by the fact that the baby was here and then the baby's here forever. Yeah. You, know, you can't get away from forever. And then how do you get away from forever? You know, so my, and my mind was doing this on a constant loop to the point that I just, it was honestly like a car racing around my brain. Wow. Um, I did, this is the thing, um, I wrote quite, I started writing quite a lot of like lists of things. I don't even remember what. I was writing quite a lot of long lists of things. Um, I felt, <sighs> my feelings of being trapped kind of went into this almost like hallucination kind of thing. 
I remember I remember one hallucination very vividly where I was floating in a corner of a room looking down at myself. And I can remember, um, yeah, like one day the duvet cover kind of dancing around. Um, and then all of the all of these kind of thoughts coming together that I felt trapped in things. So, you know, like feeling like you're being buried alive and all those kind of things. Um, but it's the kind of the feelings of mania, like, you know, I'm never going to get better, I'm never going to get better, I'm never going to get better. But it going into this absolute kind of catastrophic thing where normal thinking completely goes. And it's almost as if, you know, at, at some points, like, like my vision blurred, you know, like, like, like my, my hearing would muffle. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, and the inability to be able to actually look at a normal task and be able to carry it out. Uh-huh. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, you know, so it's the list of kind of symptoms for postpartum psychosis can be very long. Um, you know, and I think why I described there'd be like five or six of them yeah. out of the list. Yeah. Um, you know, the other, the other women that I've met on my you know, journey to recovery, and now, you know, some have experienced feelings of catatonia, um, you know, being completely catatonic, and, um, or, you know, visions of, um, you know, baby's Jesus, baby's God, um, or that they're stuck in panic rooms, or, um, you know, those kind of things. It's, or it's, you know, some people become very withdrawn, mm-hmm. um, some become very wild and manic, um, and we always say, there's a really great charity called Action and Postpartum Psychosis that really make these really good like infographics, you know, very small ones to say if the woman in your life has just had a baby and is acting strange, you know, because that like acting unusual, um, you know, please consider this could be a psychiatric emergency and it could be postpartum psychosis. Wow, great. Um, because I think you know, you know, you know, you know immediately because of the way you're living your life, you are psychotic. Mm-hmm. You know, it might not be for 24 hours a day. But there is a huge difference in the person that you are because that person has been taken over somewhat their thoughts by this this, this switch, um, which you know you've probably seen in your you know in your previous work world. Yeah. Um, you know, with women coming through. No, absolutely. I've I've just yeah. written down um, a list of symptoms just for anyone listening. So um, to run through them: hallucinations, delusions, um, periods of of like mania low moods or or where it's happening where you've got a low mood then a manic mood very very quickly like interchanging loss of inhibitions um feeling very fearful um, restlessness confusion and just like you've said behaving something like completely out of character for for who you normally are yeah i say loss of inhibitions is a big one actually isn't spoken about a lot you know we do get i've definitely spoken and peer supported women and their families where a partner will say to me and my wife is normally very quiet and reserved and then she was like taking her clothes off, off yeah, in no. the doctor's surgery. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you know, and actually when you speak to the women afterwards like me, you know, she's almost laughing about it, saying, God, you know, this is what I did before I got better at but of course that shows how much she needed help and support no, and why absolutely. why, you know, immediate help is needed because it's that's taken over her her mind crazy isn't it and um and how was your relationship with with joe during these before you went into mother and baby unit so during those first six weeks it's a weird one because i felt very frightened the fact that i was a mummy now forever the idea of that really really overwhelmed me and i can't identify with that thought anymore you know which is uh, like yeah. it doesn't make sense i mean to me we now should we should it. say that the joe is actually in the room with you right now and he's, he's listening to us <laughs> oh yeah he's on the ipad really really open with him and told him everything that that you experienced 
Yeah, because there's no reason not to. Because I think when we talk about mental illness, it's about yes. not being scared of it. Absolutely. And the reality is, you know, it, it was something that we lived through and got better from. And I think Joe will always know that what happened to me and any feelings that I had were not actually towards him mm-hmm. or, you know, or were mummy. They were caused by something happening in my brain in the week of birth. And actually the research behind postpartum psychosis, no one actually quite knows the reason why it happened. You know, there's lots of different theories. Could it be a progesterone you know, drop? Could it be this? Yeah. Could it be that? You know, and I'm not bipolar, but some people who are bipolar are deemed as high risk of having it and things. But no, I think it's incredibly important because and the reason I spoke to him so early about it is that I knew I was in control of the information then. I didn't want someone when he was 10 or 11 suddenly randomly saying it and him going, what, mummy? Like, yeah. You know, you felt like that. He knows. Well, so when I had Joe, I breastfed him all the way through and actually I breastfed him. He, he, you know, we did long-term breastfeeding um because it was we had such a lovely relationship but the only thing I would do really which was kind of puzzling healthcare professionals is that I would feed him um John would have to hold him on me but I was very clear somewhere in my brain that I didn't want that relationship taken away from me and before I had him I really wasn't I didn't know how I was going to feed him you know it wasn't really a, like a, a, bother, a bother to me at all I didn't yeah. really know and I didn't really care how I ended up feeding him but it almost became the more I became like scared of the idea of being a mummy forever the more something in my brain knew while that was being pushed away from me that I had to keep something with him near me you know and I realized now how powerful that, that was absolutely fascinating day, isn't it fascinating and the day yeah. I went into mother and baby and you know, I remember it's really awful seeing where John was on the phone to his you know psychiatric outpatients and I was screaming and his mum was you know talking to him and everyone was trying to help but I remember someone saying, you know, and we'll get her tablets to stop her milk, you know, so the baby can be bottle fed. And I can remember I just exploded. And so like, that's not happening. And of course, people were going, but you know, you're, you're, very, you're scared of the baby working near him and you're rejecting him. But I was like, no, that's not being taken away from me. There was something deep within me that knew on a personal basis, obviously my experience is totally different to everybody yeah, else's. Yeah. On a personal level, that became really important to me because I think that's what was connecting us yeah in you know on, on, on my level so it was really, and John always says you know because I was like, oh, God, you know what was I like to mummy and he said well if you were brilliant I don't think you understand you know you were going through all this stuff but I was saying I don't want to feel like this because I didn't want to feel like that because I wanted to be happy yeah. looking after my baby wow. um yeah well I'm a good mama yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well done joe he'll pay you later (laughs) so it's weird i'm horrified absolutely terrified of almost being in the same room as him but i had this connection to him that i knew was somewhere deep within and did you say sorry that john had to hold him what on you while you fed him god wow that's incredible yeah unreal i know which is a lot of the job in your feeding no exactly (laughs) His back must have been killing too. Um, and then when you went into the mother and baby unit, what was, um, what does the recovery for you, what did it look like and how long was it? Um, so I was in the unit. I always forget how long I was in the unit for because I had some home leave and go back and forth. But the average stay in the unit is around six weeks. Um, you know, so if anyone's listening whose family member might be going into one or, you know, you know, or you're a woman who's, uh, you know, it's been kind of like dangled in front of you that you could possibly go in one. The average stay is around six weeks. Um, and I will just say they are lovely places you know they're not like I don't know what I envisage a psychiatric ward is going to look like because I've never been in one um, but when you go in 
and oh no 11 years on actually you know now they're even more lovely yeah now you know you've got your own room and most of them have got on suites and the baby's in the bedroom with you if you feel like you're at that point the baby can't be with you you might if you're scared of the baby or you know, something like that the baby can sleep you know in the nursery with the nurses um you know there's a kitchen tv rooms there's creativity corners gardens they're very beautiful lovely warm places when I walked in, the first thing that hit me is that I remember feeling there was a real warmth in the air, you know, so the heating was on, it felt very homely. There was people walking around with cups of tea, like in their dressing gowns. And I was like, oh, this is... Uh, and then a, a nurse gave me a cuddle immediately. Aww, um, and that's called Debbie, that. who I'm friends with now. Oh, <laughs> well done, Debbie. <laughs> she sat me down and said, you know, you are going to get better. And of course, and I think I had a massive panic attack at that point. I remember like moving the chair into the middle of a room and I had some huge meltdown. And um, uh, but they said, you know, you're going you're to get you're going to be OK. We don't know you know, how when it's going to happen, but it is going to happen. And the next day um, I saw a psychiatrist at his rounds, you know, had a chat with him, me and John. Um, they said they were going to try some like uh, old style antidepressants on me, you know, to see how I kind of went with them and some antipsychotics. Yeah. Um, and actually, I felt like they kind of took effect quite quickly because I was in this safe and caring place where. You know, but they kind of look after you and it's very, it looks like it's hands off, but it's almost not because there's nurses there all the time looking after you. If you wake up in the night, there's sort of the nurse watching TV with you, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so it's very, very scary. And I had panic attacks constantly and I wouldn't close my bedroom door because that would have meant I was on my own with the baby. Right. So, you know, I was absolutely terrified. But I did a thing. So there was a nurse outside my room constantly because I was so scared of being on my own. But after the first week, I remember them said to me, we want to move but you move bedrooms there's an emergency case coming in you can move to a different room and I can remember sitting on the bed and realizing I was on my own with Joe in the bedroom and I shut the door and um I don't know how long it was for I always say this some, some of my blogs have got it was 10 minutes and it was one minute because I don't remember um and I realized I was on my own with him um and I came out and told the nurse and they were like yeah <laughs> you know this is the book point in your you know, journey of recovery um and actually what has happened is when I had home leave and then when I was discharged in the unit but you're still under their care um I had to have what was called exposure therapy so I had a community psychiatric nurse called Julia who used to come and see me every day and I was given tasks where I would have to spend it, about 10 seconds on my own with Joe, then 30 seconds in the house and we built that up to an afternoon. John went to see Notts County in a football match. So I had, you know, like 90 minutes on my, well, actually with the bus thing. So it was about yeah, two hours on my yeah. own with Joe in the house of my own. And then it was going down the street with him and going to the, the local shops. And then after about two months, it was getting on a bus with him on my own. Um, so that you had exposure therapy. But then, you know, I had, I had CBT, um, and EMDR therapy, because uh, which is like a PTSD therapy, because you know I was so traumatized by what had happened to me. Um, but so it was a kind of a real mixture of medication, which ultimately probably saved my life at that point. You know, the yeah. medical plan amazing for me, like a really great combination. And just um, just very quickly to talk about the meds. So um, you've, I just want to just clear up that you could take these medicate um, this medication and still continue your breastfeeding journey. Yeah. So when I went into the unit, I remember John saying, of course, John was, you know, hadn't, didn't care about baby at that point, but he was like, you know, she seems to be really connected to the breastfeeding, so I think we should try and keep that going. Um, and I was like, you know, and I can remember going, like, I cannot, what I'm taking is it okay for like feeding? And they said, we'll make sure we get you on something where you can. 
And actually, I'll just say there's a show called Descenders, a TV program called Descenders, which I worked on a few years ago because they did a postpartum psychosis storyline. Most of the listeners are in the UK, so they'll know Eastenders, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, cool. But they did this storyline, which they partly based on my experience. You know, so Mind kind of contacted me throughout Twitter to say, would you mind supporting Eastenders on this storyline? So we did for 18 months and, and the character went into a modern baby unit and they did a thing where she said, you know, I want to keep feeding the baby. And they did the thing, a whole thing around how, you know, look at getting meds. So that, of course, I always say it might be a point where if some don't work or you have to go on certain medications that you can't, you know, that, that might have to happen. But for me, thankfully, the meds that I went on, the antipsychotics and the antidepressants were compatible right. and the breastfeeding network have you know reams are very easy to read fact sheets on antidepressants and antipsychotics about what map goes into milk and what doesn't and what's deemed as safe and you know how to be cautious of um so yeah I was able to and I think that was amazing because I think that was obviously the one the one thing to help me my re- recovery personally yeah. was being able to feed Joe at a time where I felt so disconnected yeah. from him so yeah therapy um, exposure therapy was uh you know mind-boggling in the beginning to deal with and scary but actually ultimately really good and of course I do lots of work with women now with maternal OCD um you know who may have intrusive thoughts or have some obsessions or compulsions about things and they use exposure therapy you know an awful lot to try and work through those feelings so mm-hmm. it was a real combination and of time you know I always say to people you know it took time um but it doesn't mean that between start and end that this was all rubbish yeah you know, there was like a there was a victory point at everything I did yeah. because that that victory point made that a bit easier of course and there was know, pro- and I guess there's progress women. um as you know there's so progress. it took there's time progress. there was progress yeah 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 that's amazing thank you for sharing your story that's just it's incredible so when did you oh I don't know when did you feel in inverted commas better when did I feel better so well, I really enjoyed my mat leave when I came back to London. You know, so when we came back, I didn't, maybe he was four months, I'm not sure, maybe it was around four months old. You know, I, I went to a children's centre. I got a buddy from um, a charity called Homestart who, like a parental befriender, who would yeah. come to baby groups with me because I was really nervous. Um, and they don't kind of go, I'm a perinatal befriender here with you. Yeah. They just go along with you. Like, yeah, no. So just came along with my friend, they were my friends, until I felt I was at a point that I could go on my own and, and meet people. And I had a really nice year. I met a wonderful group of women who I'm still friends with now locally um, and was really honest about what had happened to me. And no one judged me. You know, I thought oh. people were going to be scared for me to be around their baby, you know, all the kind of things that you think. And actually, no one was at all. Uh, and I went to baby sensory, baby rhyme time, baby sign. I went to baby everything. <laughs> and and actually really enjoyed it and enjoyed spending time with Joe. Um, and, you know, so I think, and I went back to work when he was a year old, you know, still not quite the person that I was when I left, you know, but that, that came. Um, so, you know, I, I'd probably reached a very good part of recovery when he was a, a year old in the sense that I was kind of over what had happened to me and I was able to lead a life, not, you know, nicely and decently and uh-huh. normally. Yeah. Um, but you know, I won't lie. The trauma can stay with can, you know can stay with you for a little bit, and so EMDR helped me when he was around three, just to deal with some of the. I realised that I like I was quite nervous getting on tubes or maybe sitting like sitting on planes, and you couldn't. I realised I was anywhere I was trapped in a, a scenario enclosed, yeah. that I couldn't 
I, I wasn't dealing with very well and um I kind of connected it when he was about three. So I had EMDR therapy, that eye movement desensitization mm-hmm. and reprocessing, which sounds completely crackers, but I was like, I'll give it a go, you know. <laughs> you know, and um I had about eight eight or ten sessions, and for me personally, it was like life changing. Um and really helped me kind of you know, work around those fears essentially but also that it's okay to avoid triggers you don't have to kind of get over everything it's okay to say at points you know I might have an issue with you know locked doors everywhere so yeah. we won't have locks on every door in the house that's okay mm-hmm. yeah so I think yeah probably after he was three the experience left me if that makes sense yeah you know it no, wasn't it something that I thought about every day yeah when I was ill I thought I'll think about this every day I'll never be able to get over this feeling Wow. And can you talk to me about risk factors and did you have any? Yeah, so the big risk factor for postnatal psychosis is if you've got bipolar, a diagnosis of bipolar, um, there is a, a correlation that if you have bipolar, you have a higher risk of getting postpartum psychosis. So obviously not everybody with bipolar, but that will be, you'll be asked questions, um, you know, by your, your midwife about, um, you know, have you experienced any uh, mental illness in your past, you know, if you say, bipolar they'll talk about postpartum psychosis to you or you know or, or they, they should do um but what I would say as well is that um you know do be open when you're asked those questions mm. and even if you think oh I don't know if that really counts as mental illness or you know you know I'm quite prone to panic attacks and if that counts say those things because it just means that your midwife can then put things in place in case something happens so if you say something like you know actually you know i I've got generalised anxiety disorder or you know, I had something when I was a teenager, say it because what they can do is set you up with a mental health team while pregnant if they feel like it's necessary at that point. Or when you have the baby, the flag is already on your yeah, case. Absolutely. So if you go, I don't feel right, they can go, well, actually, you know, something was said during pregnancy. So we put her name on a list for the perinatal team to be aware of or something. So yeah, risk factor is around bipolar, but I would say mention if you've got anything um and because it's you know reality is nothing's going to be thought badly of you mm. there's been a huge amount of funding and work put into getting specialist midwives you know perinatal mental health teams across the country purely you know for the reason that when women say actually I've had this in my past or I have this at the moment they can then put extra place support in place for you so things don't get worse or you develop something different you know while pregnant so like antenatal depression or afterwards like what I had yeah. because the help is there to, to support you and like yeah don't feel embarrassed about saying anything absolutely absolutely and um quite frankly 11 years ago the way it was missed was pretty shocking um you've just said that there's been a lot of work put into um perinatal mental health I, I was just telling I used to work within a perinatal mental health team we've had Tessa on from um, the mental health with knife as well who's yeah, been talking about Tessa. her work yeah. lovely Tessa hi Tessa um <laughs> so do you think 11 years on that things have improved that people um training is better that people are more um health professionals are more aware of of um of picking up on, on the cues that, that something could you know might not be right oh yeah I think definitely I think you know a huge amount of work has gone in um to you know getting funding um to put things in place and training people up and we've got you know, the maternal mental health alliance who's done lots of campaigning around getting more mother and baby units you know we've got mother and baby unit in Wales now you know so all of these things and I do think there is an increased awareness I think particularly over the last five years, I would say that the word perinatal has popped out into people's brains more, which means the whole of the pregnancy and period up to a child is one. And, you know, I think that's important as it means that shows that, you know, people are looking and healthcare professionals are looking at that whole kind of period. 
I think the Royal College of GPs have produced this brilliant thing called a perinatal mental health toolkit, which is like an online toolkit. It's on Google. So healthcare professionals, if a woman comes into them and says, I don't feel right, you know, what what can you do to help me? It's a clinical resource for them. So of course that's being created, you know, purely for healthcare professionals. So I think, yes, I think it's in some respects, huge, absolutely huge leaps have been made. Right. Um, but of course, there's always there is always more work to do, you know. And unfortunately, we do we do hear stories where women you know, during extenders. I remember um, there were a few healthcare professionals on Twitter saying, "There's absolutely no way the characters because she had bipolar. There's no way that she would have got through her pregnancy without being asked about her bipolar. This wouldn't this would not have happened. You know, she wouldn't have got to the point, you know. That, and of course, you know, I came in to say, well, actually, you know, they've worked with." with me and even though I don't know if bipolar one of the reasons they did the story was that so many women have said it was missed and of course a raft of women came forward to say you know I identified this because I had bipolar and wasn't asked when I was pregnant didn't know that it was relevant and developed (gasps) yeah you know so I was like we we must listen to the voices of women who've been through this because it's that information which is in the re-education so I think I think we've come in, I can't even describe how far we've come we've come huge steps but I'm always very conscious which is why I think the week is so popular in one sense because there is still work to do I'm on about 800 mums groups on Facebook and throughout <laughs> a week I'll see a handful I'll see you know I'll see when I say a handful I mean you know a, a good amount of places someone will say I've been to the doctor some used very unfortunately quite a lot of saying I've been told they can't do anything until I stop breastfeeding. They won't give oh, me any God, medication, no. you know, or I've been told to come off my antidepressants, you know, and I'm pregnant, you know, and I'm kind of going, Oh God, you know, you must go back to, you know, there's, there's official guidance that to, to not do that until we spoke to perinatal team, this kind of stuff. And so there are still instances where we need to continue education, mm-hmm. um, but it's come on leaps and bounds. Yeah. It's come on leaps and bounds. Amazing. A couple more questions. Um, how, how common is um, postnatal psychosis? So, you know, what? I used to know these uh, figures off the top of my head. And so I, but I can't admit it. It's, I think it's one in every thousand births. I have a lot of stats in my head. Okay, sure. No worries. <laughs> Yeah, it's not as rare as people think. It's, it used to be seen as like a rare illness, you know, which yeah. is why no one ever spoke about it. Um, but it's not as rare as people uh, think. Um, but I think it's one in every thousand births. Um, you know, so whereas well, they say basically that, you know, one in every five women will experience some kind of perinatal mental illness, mm-hmm. um, you know, on, on, the, on the scale of mild, moderate, severe. And of course, you know, PP is up there on the severe end. But I think it's one in every thousand births. And the reason... Uh, it's yeah it's not as rare I think when I got it it was deemed as a very rare illness and of course you realize now actually it's not as rare as people think um and I think also that's why maybe the EastEnders storyline touched a lot of people because a lot of people were going oh my god can someone really go through this after yeah, having yeah. a baby she thinks Jesus but you know the rafts of women that came through again I've never seen anything like it on mum's groups on Facebook with women saying I had this I had this I had this wow. you know when I see that I kind of I used to think that someone in the mother and baby and it was quite a rare thing. And of course you see all these women popping up going, Oh no, I was in an MBA. I was in an MBA. Um, so yeah, it's not as rare as people think, but it is the kind of, it's not as commonly known as postnatal depression. It doesn't, you know, roll off people's tongues. Absolutely. Like that. And do you know how many beds are available now in, um, in MBUs? 
Hmm, I'm not sure. So I think there's 20 units now and it's between six to eight beds in some units. Some units also allow partners sometimes to stay overnight. Wow, that's um, you know, but they, they tend to not go more than, yeah. And, um, you know, there are waiting lists and you can also go to units outside of your local area and you can go to them from 32 weeks pregnant. Um, but, you know, there's your GP will have details of what your local mother and baby unit will be. And on the Maternal Mental Health Alliance website, they have a map of where all the perinatal mental health services are across the country and where NBUs are as well. Um, so, yeah, there's between six to eight beds um, in each of them. But some have been just been refurbed, like Nottingham one's just been refurbished um, and things. And actually, um, tomorrow, the Friday of the campaign, we've got I've actually recorded it already on a live session. We've got a tour around East London mother and baby unit. Hi. So we've got me talking to two nurses from the unit. And they do a PowerPoint where they take you through all the things that happens on the unit. Of course, they've got all the different sessions they do, the holistic sessions, therapy sessions. They show you what the bedrooms look like, you know, those kind of things. And also where they've had um, women who've been there previously and who are happy to show their face and talk about yeah. the experience they've got you know, with their baby. And they show their Christmas party, you know, pre-COVID times and things where they invite yeah. people back who's been in the unit that year. You know, Aww. so... Um, uh, you know, and they're talking that about as well, you know, how, how you kind of get a bed and, you know, how, how you get referred and yep. in your local area. Um, yeah. Amazing. And obviously we are in these lovely COVID times. So over the last year, have you, um, how have things changed for women in seeking help? It's been really in, difficult. In yeah. It's been really, really, really difficult. Um, you know, I think... I think one of the first things we need to talk about is, you know, women experiencing pregnancy loss um, mm -hmm. over the year has been very difficult for them, yeah. you know, particularly where partners haven't been allowed into, uh, you know, to, to be with them. And, you know, we've had some people such as uh, Sophie McCarthy from Tired and Tested, you know, talking about her experience of losing her third baby, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, on social media about it and kind of having to go through that without the support of a partner. Um, and, uh, you know, I only said it because, you know, Sophie's put, talks about that publicly you know yeah. and I think it was uh so many women identified with it and it was very incredibly brave of her um so I think that's been difficult in one sense and then you know maybe some people were then getting pregnant after that or indeed their first pregnancy or a, a subsequent pregnancy of themselves and the thing that we've had coming through is that people saying I don't know where to get help first the confusion of us to, you know, can you still get a doctor's appointment <laughs> um yeah. you know in the early days of covid and then actually, can I still be seen face to face if, if really necessary? Because I really feel like, you know, particularly if you've had intrusive thoughts about harm, you know, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to kind of say that to a receptionist on the phone of course, <laughs> or yeah. over a phone call. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it, you know, it's been really difficult for women to disclose kind of this information. And in March last year, just after lockdown started in the UK, I wrote a really, it was, it was like a quick and dirty blog. It was really long, but I, I did it really quickly about all the services that were available during COVID and how charities had changed their services very quickly to deliver them online, you know, online support groups. And kind of, you know, it went crazy. It got you know, like thousands and thousands of views because obviously women were going, where do I get help? Like, how can I go? You know, and so a lot of uh, places were going, because a lot of people didn't realise or didn't know or things weren't set up in their local area to, you know, to see doctors or that kind of stuff. People are going, well, what charity support is available in my local area? And normally we'd go, there's a support group, blah, blah. You know, you mm. can go to blah, blah. And so we were then saying, actually, that support group is offering something via Zoom now. You need to fill in this form. Um, but it's been a really difficult year, you know, because it's, you know, I can remember when I came back to London, you know, and I could just, 
pop into the doctor's surgery and say, can I see Dr. Blah, blah. You know, they've been sent my notes from the unit. Um, you know, I, can I talk about such and such? You can't, you haven't been able to do that during this there hasn't been that kind of someone being able to hold your hand Debbie giving me that cuddle you know being able to just turn yeah. up to a hospital you know all those kind of things yeah. that hasn't been able to happen and I think you really realize the power of that hasn't and how important that was to like my recovery I think now I said to John well, what if I'd gone through what we did with Joe during COVID I don't know what that we'd have done I don't know you know you know and I'm here at like that you know like this maternal mental health kind of you know information font you know said but you know I can still say to you I'd have been incredibly scared yeah. you know of the who what where why what do we do yeah um so it's been very hard for women it's been really really hard and the feelings of isolation and loneliness there's no baby groups no. in person you know there's been lots online but of course at the very beginning none of these things existed because we didn't know it was coming you know, so there was definitely a period which was very difficult mm -hmm. for women, definitely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've spoken about it before that even, for example, even now we have groups operating in Dubai and we have done for quite a long time, but there's social distancing and it makes, and there's mask wearing, yeah. and it makes it really, really hard to um, to meet people because you're 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 not sitting next to them and like I'm the sort of person that might start a conversation with a cheeky comment or um you know being a you know a little <laughs> but I can't do that because they'll miss it they'll um because I've got a mask on they won't hear me they're too far away it's yeah. hard to kind of make the right eye contact and you have to be brave as well you have to be so brave to be able to do that and if you're in a position where you don't you know you're not feeling brave and and you're not in a great place then um even though we are meeting in person it can still be really really difficult to kind of make those connections and and, and find those friends and oh really difficult which another thing what I think about is that um I've been doing quite a lot of stuff around um intrusive thoughts and sexual intrusive thoughts in the perinatal period which are incredibly distressing mm -hmm. you know to women and I kind of think imagine if I was talking to you now and you're a doctor and as lovely as you are you know imagine I kind of think like trying to say that over a video call yeah. or a voice call you know I'm having problems changing my baby's nappy because of certain thoughts that are going through my brain and absolutely terrifying me you know that's it's incredibly difficult to say because you don't know how they're going to react you know mm. they can't take your hand at that point or say it's okay yeah you know those kind of things. that's where the difficulties have come through um yeah um you are a, sorry, an award-winning mental health coordinator for the Perinatal <laughs> Mental Health Partnership, um, Flashing Lights. Uh, what does that mean? Well, so the Perinatal Mental Health Partnership um, is a group of 14 of us who got together in 2014. We met on Twitter. Um, I love that. Uh, we, you know, we're not social media. It has its benefits. Social media, you know, I say we're not a charity or anything. We just are a group of individuals who have either experienced maternal mental illness like myself or have been affected by it. Mm -hmm. So it's completely lived experience led. Um, and so, you know, we are just a, a group. And then um, uh, in 2017, we basically came together with the name of doing something to raise awareness around maternal mental illness, but didn't know quite what at that point. Um, and we had chats over the you know, three years, uh, kind of saying, what should we do? And then uh, in 2017, um, we'd started doing some work with some international organizations to kind of you know people might from the UK might have gone to say like postpartum support international to say I need some help and they would come to us saying where can we get someone help and so we realized World Internal Mental Health Day was taking place on the first Wednesday in May in 2017 so we kind of just thought well, why don't we make the UK's first awareness week 
in that week we just had this idea and we've got no money we still have no money you know we do it all, <laughs> no funding you know just making things on camera and doing it on social media but um and it ran and uh because we had no experience behind us but had to run you know campaigns we're all just like parents with jobs completely unrelated to any of this but it really <laughs> took off and we were like <laughs> and because now we're at year five this is our fifth year the Duchess of Cambridge supported the week last year and you know launched it for us um, we, and we've been lucky enough to do her five questions research with her over the year about how COVID has affected parents um, and we're in year five this year um, you know we've won We've, we've won numerous awards, which is incredible. You know, we won a, won a Glow Mama Award for Best Community Group. Um, you know, I was incredibly fortunate in 2017 to receive a British Empire Medal from Her Majesty for services to mental health. Well done. Um, <laughs> it was lovely, but, you know, it's nice because Joe got to come with me to, oh. you know, the service we given to you. My parents got to come in and see it as well. Um, and they read out a little citation of, you know, things you've done and who you've worked with. But I think being part of the partnership has felt so wonderful because it is just built on this passion, you know. So I essentially like coordinate the activities a week. But, you know, it is a, you know, it, it is a, we have a Facebook group and we have, you know, Zooms where we talk about what will the theme be for the week. We run surveys about what women and families and healthcare professionals want the week to have. Mm-hmm. And then what we always say is like, a lot of people always say, can we join the partnership? And of course, you know, we can't really, it, 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 it creates, it makes it something bigger than it is that we don't have the resources to do to increase our membership. But what we say is, actually, we structure the week. But what you probably notice, though, is that we run all these online sessions throughout the week. Where actually, we go out to different organisations, big and small, mm-hmm. and individuals, and say, would you run a session for us on cognitive behavioural therapy techniques and why they help? You know, what is tocophobia? How do you talk to your doctor about intrusive thought symptoms? What is mindfulness? You know, breastfeeding and antidepressants. Dr. Wendy Jones has done two sessions for us that really. You know, what's post-adoption depression? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, how can perinatal mental health services be inclusive of LGBTQ plus families? You know, we aren't the expertise in this. What we do is collaborate with yeah. other people, you know, to do that. And, and then this year, what we've done actually is building on COVID, where we've realised over the year, like we've talked about, people have had to think outside the box and charities and organizations have had to think outside the box about how to support women and how to support themselves you know and a raft of singing therapies art therapies craft therapy type groups have you know have emerged over the year that have been so amazing genuinely when I, when I see it at helping women in their journey to recovery so this year like going out at 11 o'clock today we've got a video from mama loves craft about it's so beautiful about how to make a keepsake about your journey to recovery like it's just a 16 minute video you know and it might be that she says in it you know you might not you, you know it might not have all the elements in because you haven't finished your journey yet but it's like you know there's lots of little different things we're doing to try and appeal to every you know to everybody yeah. I think yeah. what you're doing is absolutely outstanding and you should all be very 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 proud oh, that's very kind it's thank amazing. you that's really kind um Thank you for talking to me. I've been, I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, I could literally talk to you all day. Um, but at the end of the podcast, I like to ask my mum oh, no, um, <laughs> the same question, which is if you were to have coffee um, or gin or wine um, with any other female, alive, dead, famous, um, <laughs> who would it be and why? Oh, so I think my son's looking at me because it'll probably something to do with feminism, yeah, which it will be. You know, I'm really into <laughs> women supporting women and things. Um, any of the suffragettes, I think, you know, I think uh, I, I, I really value that the women before me have fought for, you know, what I can do now. So I think any of them. 
Also, a woman who I met a couple of years ago uh, who I would love to sit and talk to is Diane Monday, who's the abortion rights campaigner. Um, I think she's phenomenal um, as someone who uh, has had to have the procedure. Um, uh, I couldn't fathom not being able to or not being supported or it being done in a, in a you know, an unmedicalized, dangerous yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and I think she has, she fought at a time when it was completely taboo. You know, and she fought for it for the safety of women. So yeah. I think I think she's phenomenal. Joe and I just say, Joe and I, when <laughs> during COVID, I was like, Mummy's homeschooling is going to be about feminist heroes <laughs> and learning about them. You know, we learn about uh, you know Diamond. But um, yeah. So yeah, any any other suffragettes, anyone who's done something in history to allow me as a woman now to be on an equal standing, I think is fascinating. Absolutely. Thank you. And since becoming a mum, is there anything that you found yourself saying that your mum used to say to you? Uh, do you know what I was thinking about this? I was thinking about this. I don't know because my mum had four kids. You know, I've got one, and it was you know like my dad lived in Germany. It was a bricklayer. You know, she did it all on her own. I don't know if it's just I don't know if it's the same kind of things, but I think I I think I've got a real realization for the difficulty <laughs> that she endured. <laughs> if that makes sense, does that make sense? Yes, it I think does. It's not saying things, but I think I. I think I've, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, why are you saying that to me? That's really annoying. You know, I know best. And of course, now I'm realising why she actually yeah. said certain things. Um, and it was to keep me safe and keep me, you know, happy. Four kids on her own. That is that is a good effort. Yeah. And she did a great job, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and considering everything you've been through and everything you do now um is there one piece of advice or one like mum hack that you could share with us yeah do you know what I think it would be and I say this to people it sounds a bit bizarre but um if you're listening now so it's not a mum hack but it's a bit of advice if you're listening and you have opened up to a doctor about your feelings and you really haven't got the response you expected it's okay to ask to see another doctor. Great, yeah. Like I think we see so many women who say, I've gone to the doctor and they didn't quite um, give me help. And I, I left saying bye-bye, okay, thanks. But now I'm feeling like I don't really know. You're totally within your rights to say, could I see somebody else for a second opinion? Mm-hmm. I'm not quite right. Because even if a doctor isn't quite sure, they might say, I'm going to hold my hands up, you know, perinatal stuff isn't really my area of expertise, yeah. which is totally fine. Um, but they might go, so I'm going to speak to such and such. I'm going to look at this resource. I'm going to do such and such. I'm going to see what we can do to help you or refer you to the doctor in the surgery who knows a little bit more. Um, you know, it's just it really is empowering women and families to say that if you haven't got a response that you're comfortable with, because you might not know what the response should be, but it's, yeah. you know that if it's not quite the right thing for you, that it's completely okay to say, could I see someone else? It doesn't mean I'm criticising you. It means that no. we, think we need another thought process on this or another another set of eyes on this you know that it's totally okay that is to say I say it because Dr Stephanie who's one of our GPs who's um also experienced her name illness she did a tweet saying this and it got like 50 gazillion you know (laughs) tweets and so it was obviously very important yeah um you know to to say yeah that is brilliant advice and um if people um, wanted to contact you how could they do so Oh, well, just on um, social media. So you can follow me at, at Evie Canavan or at Perinatal MH Partnership. Um, if you're on Facebook, just put Perinatal Mental Health Partnership, you know, in the search bar. Again, the same on uh, 
on for our website we've tried to keep it really simple you know so yeah. anyone can just find us and you can we've got you know it goes through to an email or our dm and we will pick it up um so yeah you, they can yeah, just search for, for me or the perinatal mental health partnership and um, it'll pop up i'll make sure i put them in the show notes as well so people can easily access Lovely. them thank you Thank you so, so, so much. I, as I say, I literally could speak to you all day. Um, it's been absolutely fascinating, but thank you. Oh, thank you. No, thanks for the opportunity. It's been really lovely. So thank you. Thank you. And good luck with this week. Um, I know this will be coming out at the end of it, but I hope it's all gone well. <laughs> uh, you know, I think I'm sure, I'm sure it will. And also, you know, we are, we're a group, it's real. No, we make it a real campaign. So if there are glitches or hiccups, it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. That is life, isn't it? Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. Have a wonderful week. Take care. Bye. Such a big thank you to Eve for her time and all she and the team at the Perinatal Mental Health Partnership have done over the last week and continue to do day in and day out. Remember, there's a few more days left of the week's activities, so still time to get involved. Please, please reach out if you feel you need support. And remember what Eve said, if you're not happy with the advice you've been given, get a second opinion. The UK announced recently that they'll be putting more funding into maternal mental health. So let's watch this space to see exactly where this goes. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe. See you next week.